All right, and welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the O. Uh, I am Tony Ferrari, as always, and I'm joined by Brock Otten. Uh, how was your week watching the OHL this week, Brock? It was good, man. How was yours? Not too bad, not too bad. Uh, it was a fun weekend of action. There's tons of stuff. Ottawa stayed undefeated. Windsor still hasn't lost in regulation. So being a Windsor guy myself, I, I'm uh, quite happy. What would what you, you think of uh, Ottawa continuing their run of 9-0 now? I mean, it's mighty impressive. Uh, the way that that team's playing for Dave Cameron this year, uh, hats off to them, right? Uh, like we talked about last week, the expectations certainly weren't this high for them. And uh, let's see if they can keep going. Uh, how long is this winning streak going to continue, right? Yeah, and we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit more when we get to our power rankings a little later in the episode. But I figured we'd start off with some three stars of the week. So I figured we'd kind of get into the, some three, three of the biggest performers from the last week anywhere between three, two and three games for most teams. Uh, so who's our first star this week? I think we have to give it to Owen Beck from Mississauga. Had a fantastic year, not, or a fantastic week, nine points. Um, you know, he, he's playing really, really well in Mississauga. They're playing well as a team. Uh, I think he's even taken uh, over that sort of first-line center role from Luca Delbel-Belouz, and he looks like a great pick uh, by the Canadians at this point. Yeah, he looks really good in training camp. I know everyone seemed to love him in Montreal there and everything. So it's really fun to kind of see him come back to the OHL and dominate. And I'm sure we'll talk about another player in a little bit who, who may be coming back to the OHL to dominate a little bit later. But uh, mm-hmm. Owen Beck was our first star. Like you said, nine points, three games, just abs- or two games, sorry. Absolutely dominated. He had a five-point effort in the one game. It, it, fantastic week for him. Uh, our second star was a newcomer to the league in a, in a little bit of a way. So who was it? Yeah, I feel like we have to go with Philip Mishar there. Uh, fantastic debut for Kitchener. And we talked about last week uh, how we felt like they would kind of catch fire a little bit uh, now that they're getting some bodies returned or, or new bodies to the lineup. And uh, they're playing really well right now. And and he was fantastic this week. Uh, I, again, uh, another uh, strong abs prospect. And uh, things are looking great for that organization. Yeah, I promise this isn't uh, Montreal Canadiens hour here. But, yeah, another Montreal Canadiens prospect playing really, really well. Had a two-goal debut, just looked really solid since he's been in the league. It's been fun to kind of watch his speed and skill come to the junior level and and dominate in a way it wasn't quite doing in in training camp and everything. So it's been fun to watch him. And and for our third star, there was quite a few performances, whether whether it was Michael Mises' five-goal week, uh, Ty Voigt had another big week with eight points, Uh, Nick Chouinard had a great week in – uh, North Bay and net, it was 62 saves and 65 shots, but none of them were our third star, so who was it? We went with Colin McKenzie in Ottawa. I, I think part of it has to do with his performance in that uh, long shootout that kept Ottawa's winning streak alive, right? I mean, he was lights out. He was the goaltender of the week. Um, two wins, over 975 save percentage. I think it was, what, that that shootout went 15 rounds or something yeah. like that? Um, just an impressive performance. Uh, hats off to him. Yeah, it was really fun to watch that shootout because I remember I, I didn't watch that game live and then I went on to the to the website and looked at the score and I was like, whoa, shootout, okay. So I went and watched it and I was like, oh, okay, this shootout's just never ending. And it, it was fun to watch in a way, but at the same time, uh, shootouts can get a little much at times. But he had a great performance again this week, so it was an easy choice to put him at third star. I, I think so. Uh, I think uh, those three were, were the top uh, or the very easy selections for us to make this week. Now, we did mention Michael Misa, who had a, a five-goal week. 
And in our, I don't know if there's going to be a regular segment, but we talked about, is it sustainable last week? And we got a couple hashtag, is it sustainables <laughs> on uh, the, the podcast last week on Twitter. So hashtag, is it sustainable? Michael Misa, because this kid has been on fire to start the season at 15 years old. Five, he's 5'11", 161 pounds, 2025 draft eligible, doesn't turn 16 until February. Saginaw is being uh, being a team that I didn't expect them to be as good as they are after had the the down year last year. He's really helped them kind of climb up the rankings and stuff this year. What do you kind of think about his start so far? I think it's been better than I expected. Now I, I didn't expect him to struggle, um, yeah. but uh, I did expect there to be uh, some growing pains, and there hasn't been at all right like he's been just fantastic right from the get-go was really strong in the preseason and has kept it going into the regular season Saginaw's playing really really well um when you look at some of the historical comparisons with other exceptional status players uh right now I mean he's outpacing uh, other than I think when we looked right Tavares had 15 in his first 10 and Mises got 14 in his first 10. Yeah. Um, whereas Wright and uh, McDavid started just a little bit slower. Um, Shane Wright especially. And then he was much better towards the end of the year. Uh, so let's see. I mean, he's got a really strong supporting cast. And I think that's sort of where he and those other players differ a bit. Because when you look at Tavares and you look at Wright and you look at McDavid, um, those three were part of a true rebuild, right? Like their teams were, were not strong. They had some good young players that ended up developing really well around those three. Um, but the team itself uh, in their exceptional year just wasn't, wasn't terrific, right? Whereas Misa is playing for a Saginaw team that's playing really well. He's surrounded by some veteran talent. That team had injury issues last year. I think that was why they struggled. And I do think that it, this is sustainable. I think he can, I think he has a chance to, to have the best exceptional status season of any OHL player. Yeah, I remember during Shane Wright's exceptional status year, obviously it was cut short because of COVID and everything, but he ended up tying Connor McDavid with 66 points, and he did it in fewer games. He did it in 58 games compared to 63. And then Tavares was the guy that had the record at 77 points in 63 games. And you look at Michael Mises' start to the season, and you're like, at the current moment, he's on pace to break it. At the moment, he's got a 1.4 points per game, which is obviously – a ridiculous number and if you were to do that throughout the season he'd be right near the top of the scoring charts like he is now league-wide let alone for any 15 year old but as the year went on like you said Shane Wright picked it up a bit he ended up with a 1.14 Tavares had a 1.18 and McDavid was all the way down at 1.04 so Michael Misa really does have a shot to break it out if he continues the pace he's currently on I think it'd be 92 points for the year I don't know if he makes 92, but I think he can beat 77 because he has all the skill. His shot is already at OHL level. It's already getting to the point where I'm like watching him and I'm like, is this going to have an NHL level shot at this point? Because it's getting ridiculous, the ability that he has to just kind of put the puck in net at will. I went back and I watched a few more of his games this year because I haven't seen every single one. And the way this kid kind of just dictates play is really impressive. And that's what I found most impressive of those games so far. Yeah, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. I mean, do you think there's a chance he can crack 100 points? In all honesty, like if, oh. if Saginaw continues to play well and they add some pieces to, to help insulate him a little bit, do you think there's a chance he could break 100? I think he'd, he'd challenge it for sure because like he has everything. Like you said, the supporting cast is really strong. The only player on his team outpacing him right now is puck-moving defenseman Pavel Minchukov, who's an absolutely exceptional, stat, like an exceptional player by, in mm -hmm. his own right, and he's right up at the top of the league scoring. So – if, if 
he's a guy that can continue moving the puck up the ice to to a guy like Michael Misa. And there's other guys like Josh Bloom and other players like that on the team. There's a chance that they can do it because, man, Misa's got everything you want. He's not. It's not like when you look back at Tavares' exceptional status season, you go, oh, he was all this skill and all this talent and shooting ability, but he still wasn't that great of a skater. Right. Like David was pure speed and skill, but he didn't have that complete game. Uh, Shane Wright was more well-rounded, but you looked for that that elite, elite skill level. I, I don't know if Michael Meese is missing any of those things like those guys there. He might be missing a little bit defensively, but at the end of the day, if you're con- comparing yourself to McDavid skill set-wise with a better supporting cast, I, I think that's where you're really ex- excelling, and, and maybe you do challenge 100 points. Yeah, honestly, I, I do think there's a chance. Uh, he has to stay healthy. I mean, that's yeah. priority number one, right? Um, the other thing I'm curious about is how he performs at the under-17s. You know, we're getting that sort of full return this year of that event, and I, I think there's a good chance that he has a fantastic tournament and, and really dominates that tournament as well. Um, I, I'm excited to see uh, how his season plays out the rest of the way. Yeah, it certainly won't shock me if he's the best player there at that tournament just because – like we've said, he's got so much talent, especially on that Canadian roster, which is loaded with talent in, in, in its own right. So it's going to be impressive to watch him the rest of the way. I think he can do it. Uh, as for the 100 points, I don't know if he does it, but I think he comes close for sure. I wonder if our sponsor has a, has a betting line on that. Oh, MGM. Come on. Give, give us some OHL <laughs> betting lines. That's what we all want at the end of the day, right? <laughs> All right, let's go to our team of the week segment this week. Uh, after doing the Boston Bruins last week, we move on in the division. We go to the Buffalo Sabres, and there's only one OHL prospect, Josh Bloom, who I just mentioned, plays for the Saginaw Spirit. He's got 11 points through 10 games so far. Uh, minus two on a team that uh, doesn't have many players as a minus. It's a 2021 third-round pick. What have you liked about his game so far this year? I mean, the thing I've always liked about Bloom's game is I think he processes the game extremely well. I think he's a very well-rounded player. Um, very intelligent without the puck, terrific anticipation in the offensive zone, in the defensive zone. I mean, that's why he's such a weapon on the penalty kill as well, because he just has a great stick, um, really anticipates what the other team is going to do, and well-rounded overall profile. Um, and I think he's somebody who profiles really well as a pro. I, I don't think the upside is extremely significant, Um I could see him sort of falling in line as a, as a strong middle six, strong third line player, but I do think he's going to have an NHL career. I, I do see him sort of in that, um, you know, he can play the penalty kill. He can play on the second power play unit if needed. He can move up and down the lineup. I think as long as the physical tools continue to improve, and I, I think they're good, um, but I think obviously to play in the NHL, they're going to have to continue to improve. Right. Uh, I think he's had a great start to the year. Um, I think he's an underdog to make the Canadian World Junior team this year. I think he's the type of guy that they always look for in that sort of checking line role. Um, I think he would be his versatility would be extremely um, important in terms of his selection to that team or potential selection to that team. Um, I, I really like him as a prospect. Again, I, I don't think the upside is extremely high, uh, but not every player has to be, you know, uh, an eighty-point first liner, right? There, there are players like Bloom who are going to have long NHL careers. And I, I do think that he's going to have one. Yeah. I look at Bloom's game and the thing that screams out to me all, every time I've watched him is he knows what he is kind of thing. I, I think there's, that's a, a big thing with players, especially at the OHL level. He's a guy that knows he can do certain things and he knows to, to defer to his teammates. And there's a lot of players at this level and, and junior level across the world, Canada, us over in Europe and everything that, 
they're a, a guy that has 11 points and they're a guy that's trying to do everything themselves. They're trying to be the star. They're, they're making the hero plays. But Josh Bloom isn't that guy. He's a guy that will defer to his teammates. He'll use guys along the wall. If he's if he finds himself in trouble, he gets himself out of trouble by making the pass that he needs to make or, or chipping the puck into the neutral zone and letting someone skate into it. It's a, I think Josh Bloom does a lot of, like, like you said, those really translatable things that whether he ends up as a third liner, a really nice complimentary second line or something like that, I could definitely see that in the NHL, especially on a Buffalo Sabres team who is starting to play more of that, that kind of smart, skilled game where they don't necessarily need to be the, this team that's getting the stars. They have the stars at this point. They need those guys that can complement the stars. And I think that's going to be something that really kind of plays into Josh Bloom's game. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that his playmaking ability is is definitely one of his more underrated components to his game. Um, just has great vision with the puck. Rarely seems to make a, a a poor decision in the offensive zone. I think he's starting to gain a little bit more confidence in his play with the puck too, um, in terms of taking more chances, especially creating in transition. Because um, I, I do think that he's a pretty strong skater, especially for the type of game that he plays. And uh, uh I think he's going to have a really strong year and he's going to set himself up well to transition well to the pros. All right. Now let's get to our October power rankings. We're going to do these once a month, usually at the end of the month. This would be a perfect time to do it because we're getting to the second episode of the podcast. There's a lot of teams going, doing big things already in the OHL. So who's your top five and do you have an honorable mention? Maybe a couple teams you want to kind of throw in at the end there. Yeah, so I the way that I have it right now is one Ottawa, two Windsor, three Mississauga, four Owen Sound, five Peterborough, and then an honor mention, honorable mention for Flint. Um, I, I you know I kind of wanted to throw Kitchener in there, but I think that's premature. I think let's let's let them continue to heat up a little bit um, before I start going off on about them again. Uh, but I, I mean, how could you argue with Ottawa not being or with being number one, right? Undefeated, playing extremely well. Uh, just had the goaltender of the week. They have two solid goaltenders, uh, really deep lineup. Windsor's playing extremely well, even without Wyatt Johnson, who it looks like they're not going to get him back anytime soon, the way he's playing in Dallas. Um, but do they need him? I mean, they're playing really fantastic hockey. Mississauga, uh, we just talked about how Owen Beck is playing. Um, they're playing exceptional hockey as well in the East. Then you've got Owen Sound and Peterborough, two really hard-nosed teams, very competitive, hard to play against. Um and Flint being an honorable mention, I mean, that's the Brennan Offman show. Uh, he's playing well. And uh, I do think that they're a team that's going to move up those power rankings as the season goes on. Yeah, and my top five is not too far different, especially the top two. I also have Ottawa at number one, Windsor at number two. I have Kingston at number three, a team that you left off your top five. Then Mississauga, Owen Sound, and Flint is my, my honorable mention as well because I do think they're going to heat up. Oh, uh, Brennan Offman's going to continue just ripping up the ohl it's gonna be really fun to watch but the reason i have kingston in there and maybe this is a little bit premature thinking but with the way they're playing right now paul ludwinski's playing really well they've got ivan jigalov and net and he's doing really really well better than i expected him to after coming over from the queue and the the shane wright factor is still there for me and i think with the way seattle scratched him three times already he's i think he's averaging under seven minutes a night if this kid comes back i wouldn't be shocked to see Kingston just shoot right up to the top, even challenging Ottawa at the top of the, the, the conference this year. So it's going to be really interesting. Like you said, Windsor, just a hard-nosed team, a team that's work, workman-like atmosphere. I think every every year Windsor seems to do good. They they have a couple stars, and then the rest of the team is just these hard workers. Uh, you, you think back into a bunch of different teams, even the last couple of years with guys like Luke Boca, uh, Cole Porbo. It's just a ton of workman-like players, and 
Windsor's got all those guys now with guys like Matt Maggio and stuff like that. So Mississauga, like you mentioned, Owen Beck, Del Belbelis, like they've got a lot of guys in there. Owen Sound's a really good team as well. Every time, every every time I've watched them this season, they've been entertaining and really strong on the puck and really good, to, just kind of possession team. So it's going to be really interesting to kind of see how these top five change over the year. Is there a team outside of the top five? And I know you mentioned Kitchener already. I think we're both pretty high on Kitchener after they they've won three games uh, since they went 0 and five. Is there a team outside of the the group we have that maybe that you're thinking of uh, either should be up here and they're not, or, or maybe a team that you're looking at that might sneak in next week, next, next month? Well, if we're talking about a team that should be and isn't, I mean, it has to be Guelph. Like we talked yeah. about them last week. I, I, they're just, they just look like a mess. They just got destroyed by their rival in, in Kitchener the other night. And it just has been pretty. Um, at what point do they turn it around or do they sort of pivot and say, okay, this is just, not working. We're going to move some guys. We're going to sort of build around Cam Allen for a run in the next couple of years and go from there. I mean, it's going to be something that they're going to have to look at. Uh, Barry is another one. I think they're playing well. I think that they would have been sort of like on my honorable mention list as well with Kitchener. Um, I think there's potential for them to move up uh, as well as the season goes on. I think that there'll be a team like Kitchener that sort of heats up. Yeah, I think, like you said, Guelph is the big one. They've got one win. I think they're 1-7-1. and one. They just really don't look right. They look kind of disjointed in all aspects. I, I, I think they can turn it around. I don't know if they're going to be able to turn around and get back to the top of the league like kind of everyone expecting was expecting. But maybe they're that team that gets hot in the second half and goes on a run and, and ends up being an OHL finalist after kind of starting off kind of a little slower than we all expected. Yeah, and I mean, we just talked about what management is going to do. I mean, do they make a big trade to try to bring somebody in to just, you know, light a fire under this Guelph team? Uh, I mean, that's certainly something that I'm sure they're looking at. Um, if they're not, they probably should be, right? Uh, because at some point you need to look at the players that you've got and they're not getting the job done. So maybe you need to bring somebody in. If, if your goal is to not just make the playoffs, but, you know, be a contender for the OHL title. I think you have to do something. I don't think you can wait much longer. If if they continue to to falter, let's say they go in the next month, they they turn it around a little bit, but they still go three and twelve. I mean, you're facing a real uphill battle in a strong Western Conference. Um, it, it's going to be tough. That's a lot of ground to make up with some really good teams in that conference and in their division as well. Yeah, I know everyone, whether it's the NHL, OHL, any league in, in hockey, always goes, ah, the first five games, the first seven games, first ten games, you got to let teams kind of work it out. But you want teams to work it out and be around 500 if, if their expectation is to win. You don't want teams to work it out and, and be 1-7-1 and one because at that point, like you said, there's so much ground to recover. Like cover. There's so much more winning you have to do to try to get back into things. It, it, when you put yourself at such a big deficit, it, it's hard to kind of climb out of it. So it's going to be interesting, but I think Guelph can at least get back into the playoff race, I think. But it will be a, a story to track as the season goes on because whether it's adding or, or subtracting, I think there'll be moves coming out of Guelph. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to follow. I mean, that's the one storyline that I'm really curious to see how it plays out in the next couple of months. All right, let's move to our 2023 draft focus. And this week, instead of focusing on one single player, the NHL Central Scouting preliminary grades came out this week. Uh, I think three OHLers were in the in the A range. 
Give me your uh, thoughts on, on the process that they go through and, and kind of what exactly the NHL Central Scouting List is. Yeah, so for those that don't know, it's a letter grade system, right? So it's A, B, C. So A sort of is considered to be a first-round candidate. And then B, you're looking at sort of second, third-round candidates. C, more mid to late-round candidates. Um, and this list is, is generated through NHL Central Scouting meetings and, and regional scouts. And it's put out so that teams sort of have – just a, a generic list that they can go by um, players that they're supposed to watch, right? That's that's the whole meaning of the, of this list is it's a watch list um, and it's not set in stone. They'll they'll rejig some of those letter grades in the next like month or two before they put out their uh, first actual collaborative uh, culminative or uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Tony? Um, uh first actual accumulated league. list yes yeah. our actual ranking right where we're combining the different north american leagues um so yeah i mean it's not concrete it's not set in stone but it's definitely worth talking about like you said we've only got three ohl players which i, I mean i understand it uh maybe we're biased i think that there probably could have been a couple more a-level players ranked on there first round candidates um, but again it's it's very early on and i understand the reasons why maybe somebody like uh, you know, Quentin Musty isn't listed as an A player. Yeah, it, it's a really interesting list. Um, it, it's always fun to kind of go through because it, it seems like no matter how plugged in you are, no matter how interested in, in A League or many leagues you are, um, like yourself and me, there always seems to be a few guys that you're like, oh, really? So who are the A ranked guys, and and, and what did you kind of think about those three? And in is there a guy, maybe Quentin Musty, maybe someone else that you think should be in that that A range? Yeah, I mean, I think the three that they selected are, are easy choices. We're talking about Cal Ritchie, Colby Barlow, and Cam Allen. Um, those three are, are currently, anyway, sort of top 15 candidates for sure, maybe top 20. Cam Allen hasn't had the best start, but I think you still have to have him as that A-level player right now um, based on – you know, what he did last year, how he played at the Holinka. I mean, Guelph as a team is, is struggling. So let's see how he sort of works through that. Um, like you said, Quentin Musty and maybe uh, Hunter Brustavich, those were the two that I kind of thought might be A's when I would, you know, when I was looking at that list for the first time. Um, I think maybe even Brustavich surprised me more than Musty because I think he's played quite well for Kitchener this year and he's playing sort of first pairing minutes for what I think is a strong team. I do think that he hasn't been amazing defensively. Uh, so maybe that's what the reasoning is behind him being a B and not an A. Uh, again, there's lots of room for movement there, though. Yeah, it, I think they put out three lists throughout the year. This list, a midseason and a final grade. So we'll see updates throughout the year as well. Uh, let's go into some some overranked and underranked guys that we both kind of identified. So who are your overranked guys? A couple of players that maybe you think – Maybe we're uh, an A or a B and probably should have been down a grade. Yeah, so the two that sort of jumped out at me were Ethan Miedema and Kerry Terrence. So I'm kind of very interested in your opinion on Miedema being a Windsor guy. Um, for me, his development has disappointed me since he sort of entered the OHL. I think there's still some consistency issues. I don't think he was terrific at the Helenki Gretzky Cup selection camp. That's why he wasn't selected. I think he's had a pretty slow start to season comparative to how Windsor is playing. Um, I I worry about, you know, the complete aspects of his game um, and his willingness to sort of get to the middle of the ice, given the sort of style of play I think he needs to play to be successful. Um, I think there's definitely talent there, but 
I think he would be on the bubble as a B or C for me. Um, and then Terrence is another guy, lots of speed, speed to burn, um, you know, can play in transition, but hasn't had the sort of best start to the year. And uh, I kind of wonder what he's going to be like as a pro. Uh, you know, is he skilled enough to, to be sort of a, a top six player? Is there a role for him? Um, I kind of see him as more of like that mid-round candidate right now, sort of in that like 80 to 120 range. Um, I think there's other guys in the O that I prefer more, um, certainly guys that were C-ranked. So, uh, I mean, Minima is the one I'm curious. What are your thoughts on that? He's the guy that I've been frustrated with a lot this year watching him because I wanted to, I want him to be good because obviously I'm in Windsor. I see, I watch Windsor a lot. He's a guy that flashes a ton of play, like high end, high end skill, especially for the size he has. You see sometimes where he'll put the puck through a guy's legs, dash to the middle, get to the net and kind of juke the goalie and make a really nice play for a goal. There's been some times where he'll flash some playmaking ability the consistency consistency is all over the place, though. That's the biggest problem with him is he he'll do it once or twice a game, and then he absolutely disappears at times. There's so many times where you see him kind of floating on the perimeter, and you're like, you have size, you have the skating ability right. to an extent to get to the middle. He he is a little bit slower than I than I, I kind of expected him to be coming out of his coming into his draft year. I, I expected there'd be a little bit of a, a bump in his, his skating ability from last year, and there hasn't really been, which has been a little bit of a disappointment as well. But overall, I think he's a good he's a good player who could be great and get into that second third round range but right now he's just not doing it for me either so i wasn't completely shocked to see him on your list uh, as for my two guys colson petrie and oliver bonk with oliver bonk i think the biggest thing is i'm probably going to be wrong on this one i'm always wrong on the london knights guys because they they seem to have a, a minute role you, you don't know what to do with them. you kind of like, ah, eh, they're not doing it for me. They're not doing it for me. And then in, in their D plus one, they explode and you look crazy for even thinking that they shouldn't be that high. But with Oliver Bonk, I just, I haven't liked a lot of his game this year. He, he, there's some times where he'll, he'll make a good first pass. And then the next one he makes is just an airmail down the ice. And it's like, what are you doing here? Uh, there's so many times where he'll make, he'll make a play in, in the neutral zone and transition and you're you're like there's two wide open options and he decides to take the hardest play cut to the outside or something there's a lot left to be desired with him but they all this the skill is there and i think with some working out with some reps he's he can get there it's just i don't know how many of those reps he's going to get in london because they're they are kind of a team that generally tends to lean on their older guys maybe this year with a team in london who isn't going to necessarily challenge for the title Maybe that's where a guy like Bonk does get a little bit more reps, and he does be able. He is kind of able to grow and develop throughout the year. As with with Colson Petrie, I, every time I watch Flint, I look for him, and I, I unless I'm focusing in on him directly, I go, "Where is he?" And, and that's my biggest thing with him is there's so many times where he just disappears throughout a game, and I don't know where he is, and I I'm having to focus in solely on him to to notice what he's doing. And I feel like for a guy that's ranked as a second, third round prospect, you should probably notice them a little bit more i know we're going to talk about some guys that we think were underranked a little bit and i think all the guys that we've mentioned you notice a little bit more and i think that's the biggest thing and yeah i think he has some talent but i just don't know if he has that that pop that oomph that you look for in a second third round guy yeah i mean uh hard to argue with your choices tony i think uh one thing you didn't mention about bonk was i think there's some room for improvement in his four-way mobility i yep. think that sort of makes me wonder what his role is going to be at the nhl level um, you know, and with Petrie, I think the one thing that I've kind of disappointed in is he hasn't been as physical as he was last year. I think that was one thing that 
it was very always noticeable about his game uh, with yeah. the Firebirds. And I don't think he's sort of been at that same sort of level this year. I still like him as a prospect, but I'm kind of a sucker for sort of those throwback <laughs> potential power forward guys. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll, I want to see how his game develops over the year. Um, but again, hard to argue with your choices. All right, Brock, who's some guys that you thought were maybe underranked that you think deserve a little bit more love than what the list gave them? Yeah, I mean, the first one that jumps out at me is Matthew Mania. Uh, I think he's been pretty good this year. I think he moves the puck well. I think he's shown some positive steps forward defensively. I think there's some upside there. Um, another one would be his Sudbury teammate and Alex Ferran. Um, another sort of big throwback power forward. I just said I'm kind of a sucker for those types, so it makes sense. I think he's had a very good start to the year. And another one that I kind of thought would be Denver Barkey. And I, I know that he's one that you're going to mention too, because we, we chatted about this. And uh, I, I just think that with a guy like Denver Barkey, there are so many different paths to the NHL for him. I think that he's a very well-rounded player. I think he's a very competitive player. And I think he's more skilled. I think the upside is higher than maybe people think. Um, and he's the type of guy that could pop off. You mentioned the whole London thing, right? Like where these guys go in the sort of second, third, fourth round range, and then they pop off in their draft year plus one, and everybody looks like fools. And I think that Barkey is, is, has the potential to do that. And if he doesn't, I, I do think that – type i think that there's there's a high floor and a high upside with him and i think that i think nhl central scouting maybe is looking at the sort of physical components there the the height and weight maybe a little bit too much and the fact that london has struggled this year um more than they should anyway yeah i think that well, i'll start with my first guy denver barkey as well i think like you said the five eight that that's a, something that the central scouting is going Eh, maybe I don't know. We'll have to see. London obviously starting out a little bit, a little bit slower than they were used to. But the one thing I'll say about Barky is he is a stockier guy for 5'8", 174 is not a small guy. It's not like he's five eight, one fifty one, like we've seen some players in the past. He, he's got a little bit of size to him, like you said. Effort is there. He's a guy that, like you said, on a London team that has struggled. He's almost a point of game player so far this year. So I think he's a guy that I think works hard, understands where he, what he needs to do on any given line, whatever teammates he's given. He can kind of play any of those roles. And like you said, there's, there's a role for him at the next level. If that's that size and, and everything doesn't really uh, impact his ability to get there. Uh, and the other guy I wanted to mention was Cole Brown playing for the Hamilton Bulldogs, another team that isn't necessarily blowing anybody out of the water this year, but he's six, 300, uh, 170 pounds. So he's basically the same weight as Denver Barkey, but he's, obviously a few inches taller at six, three. And he's another guy that I think has done a really good job of finding the back of the net, kind of getting to the spots to score goals. I don't know what the upside is with him, but I do think he deserves to be in that conversation with some of those guys that we already mentioned that maybe don't deserve that, that B ranking or, or at least Cole Brown deserves to kind of be in there because I think sometimes his skating ability kind of does impact him. But at the end of the day, he gets to his spots. He's a really smart player and he finishes really well. Yeah, it's kind of like the same as Fran in, in Sudbury, right? There are two yeah. similar sort of players. I mean, what's the offensive upside? I think we're kind of get a better or a more clear picture as the year goes on. Um, but I agree with you. The physical tools are, are very intriguing. And I think both of those guys probably could have looked uh, looked good as, as B-rated players. All right. Now let's get to the mailbag because we asked Twitter for some questions and we got quite a bit. Uh, we're obviously not going to get to all of them this week because there was a bigger response than I thought there was going to be. But let's get to a few, a few of the ones we got. And the first one we got here is coming from Stephen Ellis. 
uh, currently with Daily Faceoff, formerly of the Hockey News with us. Uh, and the first question he asks is, is a little bit of a philosophical question for the two of us. And he goes, do you prefer watching the OHL for the scouting aspect or for the full season, regular season storyline like any other league? So the way we kind of took this is, do you watch the OHL mostly for the scouting to kind of see who's kind of coming up and towards the NHL? Or do you watch it as a fan of the league itself and, and enjoy the process of going through an OHL season, seeing your team kind of get to the end of the year and, and challenge for the championship? Yeah, I mean, I can't speak for you, Tony, but I mean, our jobs would be pretty hard covering the league if we didn't actually enjoy watching the storylines unfold and, and, you know, covering the league itself more than just, say, scouting. Uh, I've been covering the league for a really long time. I've been, I remember going to OHL games as a kid. I mean, it, there's a there's a fan component ingrained in, in my coverage uh, of the league itself and, and the scouting component. So I, I think it's got to be a 50-50 split there. I think, yes, I'm watching from a scouting perspective, but obviously I'm, I'm paying attention to the storylines and I'm I'm cheering on and, I, and I'm intrigued uh, as to how the season is going to go. Yeah, I think I, I'm, I'm with you on that one. I think the big thing that I, I've noticed is that maybe my fandom of a single team, like uh, obviously I live in Windsor, I've, I grew up here, uh, maybe my fan of being like, calling myself a Spitfires fan has kind of faded away a little bit just because you you meet the guys, you meet guys on other teams, you kind of start cheering for individual players that you cover, different things like that throughout the years. But at the end of the day, you still are a fan of the league. I think I, I love watching guys, I love finding certain guys that I'm just a huge fan of throughout the league. I remember a few years ago, Ty Tulio was a guy I was a big fan of, so I was watching tons of Oshawa games, and not even for a scouting aspect. Uh, mm-hmm. different guys at Quinton Byfield up in Sudbury, right? Like, right. You find certain players across the league that you've had good interactions with, or you do these things and you, you cover them and you, you do watch the game for that scouting aspect to, for that, for the analysis. But at the end of the day, through that process, you go, Oh, I really like how this guy played. And then you start telling your friends, Oh, you got to watch this kid play and you got to watch that kid. Oh, if you get a chance to see Sudbury come to town or Oshawa come to town, make sure you get a chance to go see them. And, and like I said, my fandom of become being a Spitfires fan maybe has faded away since as a kid, because like you said, going into games as a kid, that's where your fandom starts. And I, I remember my first hockey game was ever a Spitfires game at the old barn. Right. So there's always that, that like uh, that, that old school, like you, you miss it. You want to be the fan, but you're still doing all the analysis and everything. So it does kind of dry up the, the individual fan um, aspect of it. But like I said, you're a fan of the players, you're a fan of the people and that's what I found more more than anything. Yeah, it's it's so easy to cheer on some of these storylines, right? Like, I'll give you an example, like Arbor Jack guy, right? I remember going to uh, a Kitchener Rangers preseason game when he was trying to make that roster as a walk-on. Um, I'm thinking, whoa, like there's kind of something with this guy. Like, I wonder what he's going to develop like. And, you know, seeing his story sort of unfold and signing with the with the Canadians after training camp and, you know, end up, playing in the NHL now and following his his already interesting but short career. I mean, those are the storylines that make our job very interesting and fun, right? Yeah, exactly. Seeing a guy, like you said, go from being a walk-on in an OHL camp to not playing a single AHL game and being an NHL rostered player and looking really good doing it, that's the stuff you live for as an OHL analyst and fan. So I think, like you said, it is a 50-50 split. Like I said, for me personally, maybe I become less of a fan of a team, but you, you love the league as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, our next 
question comes from quite literally random Twitter user is their name. Uh, but they ask, will the London Knights recover? Or will they remain near the bottom of the West? Because they are kind of, we're used to seeing them atop of the league. And right now they're not even near close to the top of the conference. Yeah, we kind of hinted at this last week, but I think that they're going to be near the bottom of the West. I think they'll probably end up maybe clawing their way into the playoffs. Um, but this is – and I honestly don't think that the Hunters expect to do extremely well this year, and I do think that's why they're going to move some guys. Um, we already saw that. I mean, they've already moved Liam Gilmartin. Um, they moved Gerard Keane. They've probably uh, – we talked about them moving Brett Brochu at some point this year. There's obviously going to be a market for him from somebody who needs goaltending. Um, they have a few other guys that they could move. Um, I think this is sort of that first year of, of a retool for the Knights. Uh, it hasn't happened in a long time, but uh, maybe it's long overdue, uh, long overdue because you and I both know how cyclical this league is. Yeah, and the London Knights seem to be the one team that always seems to be able to avoid that cycle. But at the end of the day, they're going to have a, a year or two off or probably one year, let's be honest. It is the London Knights. But I, I do think they're a team that, like you said, maybe they claw into the first round, but they're probably a first-round exit team this year if they make the playoffs. And, and at the end, it's going to be really unfortunate when we, we look at that team and they're at the end of the bottom of the standings. And any anybody that's ever had a team that's at the bottom of the standings that's been a fan of the league will be able to kind of look at them and go, how does it feel to miss the playoffs for the first time ever? And it, it's going to yeah. be fun kind of playing up that storyline. But at the end of the day, it gives so many other teams the ability to kind of pop up and be a big storyline throughout the year. So I do think they, they kind of finished towards the bottom of the West and maybe not be uh, all that much of a threat come playoff time. Yeah. Like you said, I don't know how many fans of the league are going to be extremely sad to see the Knights <laughs> at the bottom. All right. So the next question comes from Josh uh, on Twitter and he says, which 2023 draft eligible is turning heads the most so far for you and maybe rising up your board a little bit. So this answer, I kind of really heavily debated in my head. Um, and the answer I'm going to give is Colby Barlow. And I think that's because he's no longer, in my opinion, in that sort of like 15, 20, 25 range. I think this is a guy that we need to be talking about as a top 10 pick, um, even in a strong draft year. We talked about, you know, how his game really doesn't have a weakness, right? He's a big power forward, can play any role, doesn't need his minutes sheltered, um, can be on the ice down a goal or protecting the lead, uh, you know, with a minute to go. Um, very easy to see his game transitioning to the NHL level because of how well he skates. We saw it with Cutter Goche last year. Uh, you know, he was he was a top five pick because he's a similar kind of player. Yes, center. Again, I feel like we talked about this last week, but it just I just see there something with Barlow that I think is very it's going to be very intriguing to NHL teams. Uh, maybe more so than some of the other players. In my opinion, I think he's past Cam Allen. I think it's 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 Callum Ritchie is sort of in that slot, sort of just behind the big three. Um, and then I think Barlow is honestly almost right there with Ritchie at this point. He's had a fantastic start to the year. Uh, Owen Sound's playing well. They're going to continue to play well, I think. Um, he's sort of the straw that stirs the drink there too. It's already their captain. I mean, what's not to like about this player? And uh, I know that he's only moved up a little bit because he was already so well hyped. But um, that's sort of the first name that popped in my head with this question. When I saw this question, I was like, Who's, who was not really on my radar at the start of the year in terms of first, second, maybe even third round uh, discussion and, and this push their way right in there? And, and it has to be the, the 9-0 Ottawa 67's Luca Pinelli. Uh, is a guy that I, I looked at it last year and I was like, yeah, he had a good season, 
Uh, I have some concern about some decision making. Some he has a skill just like his brother did. Does, is he going to be able to kind of push that pace a little bit more than his brother did? And, and all I've seen this year is a guy that's been able to get to the middle, get to the spots, understand what he needs to do on any given shift. He works his way into the good scoring areas. He does have a little bit more pace than his brother did at the same age, I think. And he's got just as much skill and a really good shot. I think Luca Pinelli is a guy that is currently second on his team in scoring. He's got five goals, second on his third on his team in goals. This is a kid that's going to be a dual threat throughout the year. And I think if Ottawa's going to go places, Luca Pinelli is going to be a big reason why, because he's a guy that, like I said, he has the smarts. That's not something you're going to question. He has a little bit of speed. He, it's not a burner necessarily, but he does, he is able to play at pace. And he's not a guy that you have to worry about in the defensive end. And I think that's the thing I've noticed most watching his game is that he seems to be in the right spots there. He understands where to keep his stick. He understands how to close off a lane and how to kind of close off a guy when he's along the wall and everything. So he's a player that I think is going to do a lot of big things this year. If he can continue developing, continue getting stronger, can he get a little bit faster? I think if he can do that, maybe he does push in the end of that first round conversation because I'm starting to already see some people kind of talk about that. Yeah, that was going to be my question to you is, do you see him as somebody who should have been an A? He was the guy that when I looked at him, I'm like, maybe he should kind of be at that tail end of the A. But then I'm looking at a lot of the players that were the A. And obviously, there's a couple that are probably maybe from other leagues and stuff that I I question. But I, I think right now, a B is a good spot for him. I think he's on the high end of the Bs, in my opinion, in in. I could see him pushing into that A range. I could see him pushing into that end of the first round, early second round conversation and end up being a really good player. Maybe drafted a little bit higher than where his brother was for the, by the Kings. And I, I think he's going to be a guy that's going to be really fun to watch throughout the year. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the interesting thing will be seeing how those physical tools improve over the course of the season, right? Seeing how the skating improves, seeing how he gets stronger on and off the puck, because I, I do think it's been an impressive start. Uh, I'm right there with you on him. All right, now we got two more questions, so let's buzz through them real quick. The first one comes from Ryan Quirk, and it's what hinders the growth of OHL markets, in your opinion? This is a really tough question because I really think it depends on where we're talking about. Um, if we're talking about the GTA, let's say, you know, the struggles that Mississauga has had for the tenants, um, you know, the fact that they can't draw from places like Oakville and Burlington and Milton and other parts of the GTA, um, and I think. The reason is it's it's the Toronto Maple Leafs, right? We're looking at uh, many of the people in that region going and being solely fans of of the Maple Leafs and not just junior hockey itself. Whereas where we see some of the stronger markets are places that might even be not huge towns, but have really embraced their junior team and the culture that surrounds the junior team. And it becomes sort of a family event, right? Um, because there's not... I, not to sound ignorant, but there's not as much to do in some of these places, right? And I think the other thing too is just the growing or or changing or evolution of Ontario culture, right? Um, you know, hockey is losing ground to sports like basketball, soccer, uh, which are less expensive to play. Um, I think the prices of some of the games for the OHL you know, with people struggling financially now. Um, I think that's another thing that sort of hinders some of the growth of, of these markets is, you know, people with families who should be targeted for these games just can't afford to go to as many or can't afford to, you know, be season ticket holders. 
Yeah, I think that's a big thing, right? Is the GTA obviously has the Toronto Maple Leafs issue. And I think the big thing that for some of the successful cities is you have that college football atmosphere. It's the closest thing, I think, uh, in terms for, from Canadian aspects to uh, the NCAA football aspect and everything in the States. Uh, I think at the end of the day, this is going to be a conversation we were able to expand into a bigger segment, maybe brainstorm some ideas, throw some ideas out there. And uh, go from there and, and kind of be something a little bit bigger. Maybe bring more of that college football atmosphere to it. And uh, But w- with that said, I think we should wrap up today. We're already running a little long. Producer Connor is a fantastic guy. And he's uh, already in our ears telling us that we're going a little longer than usual. So, Brock, where can we find you on Twitter and everything And uh, before we get out of here? Yeah, at Brock Otten um, and my work at, at McKean's. And thanks for listening. All right, I'm Tony Ferrari from the Hockey News. As always, you can find me on Twitter at the Tony Ferrari. And tune in next week when we talk about some more OHL stuff and keep up to date with the OHL. Thank you for listening.